Exodus chapter 15. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And we shall leave it there. Well, friends, we're looking at this amazing uh, hymn and song of uh, Moses and the, what he sang. And the children of Israel uh, all sang when they came out of uh, the other side of the waters of the Red Sea. And uh, so glad uh, were they to be free that they burst out uh, into a song. A song, as we see, composed uh, by Moses. Now, uh, as we've, we've seen, they've arrived safely uh, on the western, eastern bank uh, of the Red Sea. And now all that separates them uh, from Egypt is that sea. The enemy is done for. The enemy has been routed, chased. They were chased, pursued relentlessly. And it seemed like Egypt was, and uh, Pharaoh and his chariots, his mighty army chasing after that weak band of Israelites, two million of them, but still weak and uh, armless. With, looked like they were going to conquer and uh, defeat them is easily, but the, they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, factor in that the Lord was with the people of Israel, that the Lord was uh, on their side. And so uh, we know and we saw last week how the Lord intervened in such a mighty way and how a way was opened up when there was no way for them to go. Just the sea behind, in, in front of them, the Egyptian forces behind them, the mountains on the left and the right, where were they to go? No way opened up for them in that cul-de-sac. But then the Lord opened a way through the Red Sea. Who would have expected that? A way through the Red Sea and the wet, moist, mucky land becoming dry land for them to walk safely across uh, all uh, to the other side, each one safe. And when those Egyptians tried to pursue and do the same thing, well, the Lord brought uh, wind and a sea that was uh, walls to the uh, Israelites as they passed through, well, they all came tumbling down upon the, uh, uh, the chariots and every one of those Egyptians uh, perished. And uh, now uh, uh, Moses and uh, the people of God are safe. They are free completely uh, from the shackles of uh, Egypt. And so they sing as they must. So verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. Then they sang this song unto the Lord after they had been redeemed. Moses composed the hymn, and all the people uh, joined in the singing uh, of uh, his composition. 
In verse 20 and 21, we read about uh, Moses' sister, uh, Miriam the prophetess. The sister of Aaron, she took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancers. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The, sh the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So uh, here is a hymn. It's made up of three stanzas. And this what Miriam is singing appears to be like a chorus. And uh, perhaps, we're not really sure, but perhaps she sang it after every verse, or perhaps she sang it after every stanza. Uh, but Miriam and the women uh, all joined in that chorus, and the men, it seems, with Moses uh, did the stanzas. It must have been a great noise, isn't it? Two million people singing. Wow, what a tremendous noise that would have created, and a, a tremendous note of praise. How much more when in heaven, when an uncountable number shall be singing the praise of God forever and ever. What an echo, what a sound that will be uh, to hear uh, the, the praises rising. And I'm sure as one great congregation, uh, there will be times when we gather together uh, in glory to praise uh, our God. This is the first recorded song uh, in the Bible. And you have to emphasize the word recorded because I'm sure the others, they were singing before that. I cannot think that for the 2,500 years before, uh, before this event that there was no singing. There must have been uh, singing of the Lord's people. Just give you two examples. Even Noah when, and his family, surely when they came out of that ark and they saw that, that they were safe, even though everywhere else was devastated and destroyed, surely they must have put up at least a solemn uh, as well as a joyful song when they came out safely uh, into the new world. Abraham, surely he must have been re rejoiced when the promised son Isaac was born and he was 100 years old and his wife 90 years old. What a miracle. Surely he would have, normally we were very happy when, uh, to have a normal birth, but how much more to have such a miraculous birth. Surely he would have been dancing in his heart at the very least and singing a song to the Lord. But in this case here in chapter 15, this was the first time in a very, very long time that these children of Israel had sung a song. They had been used to sighing and to crying. They were under slavery. They were in bondage. They were mourning. They had they'd lost. Many had their young, uh, young male infants thrown into the sea. What great sorrow that would have caused to them. There was groaning over the heavy burdens that had been put on them. And now they're set free. Now they're set free like a bird. And they're uh, rejoicing. And when we're happy, isn't it? We sing. And so they also uh, sang. Oh, friends, we never sang in our unconverted days a song to the Lord. Or oh, we sang the worldly songs. We sang the top top ten songs, maybe, pop songs. We sang love songs. We had, maybe we sang the national curriculum, with all, uh, sorry, the national anthem, rather, with all our hearts. Maybe we sang other songs. We sang for our football teams on the terraces, and we, we, we sang uh, mightily for them. But we, at that time, we had no song in our hearts for the Lord, for our Savior. We 
Uh, we had maybe songs to woo our spouses with. Maybe we had sang songs to, to soothe our children to sleep uh, and to cheer them. Maybe we sang songs to ourselves uh, to cheer ourselves when we are feeling down and discouraged. But we never had a song in our hearts for the Lord. We never had a song in our hearts for Him. Maybe we went to, maybe we went to church and sang hymns, or in our school assemblies, maybe we sang hymns, but maybe we never really did it sincerely or really for the Lord, but conversion changed everything for us. Conversion is the Lord putting a new song, isn't it, into our hearts, a song of praise unto our God. Then, then, after we are converted, then we sing a song really to the Lord. Then he becomes the theme of our lives, the song of our lives, the joy of our lives, the happiness of our lives. It all revolves around him. After we are saved, we begin to truly sing. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, uh, he said, uh, When we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, the dumb devil is cast out of us. And I think that's true. Then also we could say, uh, after every answer to prayer, these Israelites, they had cried to God for deliverance. And uh, the Lord had heard their prayer. And now they burst out in praise and thanks to God. And so should we. We often pray to God and ask him uh, for help. Do we remember to praise him after? And the answer comes, are we remembering to be thankful? Are we following up with, thank you, Lord? That was an answer to prayer. Don't just see it as a, oh, a, a chance happening. But see, you prayed about it. Acknowledge the Lord's hand in it. Give him the glory for it. Oh, friends. Uh, we haven't even begun really to look at this uh, song. But as you look through it, you look through it uh, in your own time in more detail, well, you see that it's a song all about the Lord. It's all about Him and what He has done, about His great name and about what He has done. There's no mention of Moses. There's no mention of Aaron or Miriam. Moses and Aaron uh, Aaron. Uh, God used them. They were instruments to bring the people out. Why is there no mention? Well, because it's, it, all the glory is for the Lord. I mentioned a few things. The Lord is my strength and a song. And then he, he cast Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts into the sea. Verse 4. He dashed in pieces the enemy. He overthrew them. It's all about what the Lord has done. Verse uh, 8 talks about the blast of thy nostrils uh, caused the waters to go up into a heap. And then again, verse 10, thou didst blow with thy wind and the sea covered them. The, uh, the sea uh, covered the, the, Philistines, sorry, the, uh, the Egyptians and they sank as lead in the mighty waters. He led the, forth the people. He guided them. It's all about what God has done. This song. Friends, it should be the same for us. Are we seeing the church growing? Are we seeing good things happening in the church here? Yes, we are. And we thank God for it. We want to give all the praise uh, to Him. We've seen a baptism uh, just recently. We rejoice. It's our first baptism in a long time. But we rejoiced it. We don't give glory or praise to the minister or the pastor, or the leaders in the church. 
or those who are working very hard in the church, it's all the glory goes uh, to the Lord. Don't give any uh, of it uh, to the minister. If we want the work to spoil the work, give it to the minister. Give it to him. Take your, give glory to him. That's um, what did Moses do anyway? Moses didn't do anything. He just did what the Lord told him to do. He just stretched out his rod as the Lord told him to do in faith. And the Lord did the rest. The Lord fought. The Lord uh, worked a mighty miracle. So he did it. And it's only right that we should give the glory to him. Well, friends, uh, let's just look a little bit more at this uh, song. This song has uh, three uh, stanzas. And... Uh, Verses 2 to 6 is stanza 1, 7 to 10 is stanza 2, and 11 to 18 is stanza 3. And I'll take those as my uh, bullet points uh, for tonight. So firstly, in uh, stanza 1, uh, verses 2 to 6, the superiority and strength of Jehovah over his enemies, that the Lord is stronger than his enemies. As it says in verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song. And then in verse 4 and 5, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Here was this Egyptian army with Pharaoh, led by Pharaoh, and they were fighting against the Lord. It wasn't just the people of Israel. They were fighting against God. You remember Pharaoh's words, Who is the Lord that I should serve him, that I should obey him? Who is he? I don't know this God. I know all the other gods of the Egyptians, but uh, I recognize them. But who is this God? He was challenging the Almighty. And even though he's been defeated so many times, still he came again. Well, so easily his army was overthrown by the Lord. It wasn't difficult. The Lord in a very easy way. He says here, as, uh, as uh, they sank into the bottom as a stone. A stone, if you throw a stone into a pond, as I'm sure all of us here have done at some point in our life, well, it goes very quickly. It sinks very quickly to the bottom. There's no resistance from the stone. That's how the army of, Israel, of uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians uh, went down. Verse 6 Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. The right hand of God speaks of his power and of his might. Powerful he was to bring the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Powerful to dash the pieces in pieces the enemy. Well, friends, also... When we think of the right hand of the Lord, uh, we have to think from, we are reminded from other scriptures that at the right hand of God is Christ. Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is also equal in power with the Father. And he has also done gloriously. Hasn't he done such wonderful and amazing uh, things? Think of what he did for uh, his people on the cross. Think of uh, his glorious power, how he had to bear in his own soul the penalty and the punishment of all the millions and millions of souls who will trust in him, 
was all placed upon his soul. Who could bear that? Who could endure such things? He needed his mighty power, his infinite power to uphold him. Only he, as the almighty God, could do that. And he did. He bore the sins of his people by his mighty power. By his power, he obtained the perfect righteousness for his people. He lived a perfect life in spite of all the trials and the temptations and the difficulties and the opposition that he faced in his earthly life and the hatred of men. Still, he was able to keep himself and to, uh, from uh, sin and from evil and to obtain a perfect righteousness uh, to pass on to those who trust in him. He destroyed by his power those enemies of ours, sin, Satan, and that last enemy, the one that so many fear, death. Death, the fear of death is taken away uh, because of what Christ has done. Friends, how do you think about death as a believer? I was thinking about this just this week. Well, death is really not something we ought to fear. I know sometimes we still do, even as believers. But we ought not to. Somebody has described it as the best means of grace that there is because it takes you into glory. It takes you into that glorious state that we were looking at on Sunday morning. And death is not something uh, to be feared, but death is something, in a sense, that Christ has defeated and is something that he has overcome. So we, not, we need not be afraid uh, of it because it brings us to our Lord. But then secondly, the second stanza, and that's in verses 7 uh, to uh, 10. We have the power of God over the elements, over the, the various elements in this world. God used uh, the wind, a strong east wind, to heave those waters up and to make that passage through, to pile those waters up as one uh, solid mass. And we read that again in verse 8. With the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the flood stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And then again, verse 10, uh, thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters. The, the elements are in God's hands. Here the Lord used the wind and the sea on the one hand, to, to be a blessing to his people. On the other hand, to be a means of condemnation to the Egyptians. And all things are in his hands. Every, it teaches us that uh, in providence, every little thing and every great thing in this world, all the circumstances that, are, that happen to us, everything is in God's hand, and he can use it as he chooses. I wonder if you've heard of the uh, Protestant wind. The Protestant wind. Well, in the, yes, let me tell you a little bit about it. In the summer of uh, 1588, uh, King Philip of uh, Spain, King Philip II of Spain, uh, he was intent with the Pope's backing. He was intent to invade uh, England. England at that time was a Protestant nation, and he was intent on making uh, England Catholic again. Mary had died. 
Queen of Scots had died, and reigning at the time was uh, Queen uh, Elizabeth I. And so Philip, well, he decided to send out this powerful uh, fleet of ships, the Spanish Armada, I'm sure you've heard of that, uh, 100 ships, 18,000 men with this aim of uh, recapturing or defeating the English. But uh, they were soon uh, defeated. I won't go into all the details, but they were soon defeated at uh, the Battle of Gravelines, uh, somewhere near uh, Dunkirk. Uh, and then this armada, they tried to flee. But uh, as they tried to flee from the, from the English ships, a strong uh, gale force wind blew the armada northward towards the North Sea. And in the end, they had to end up going around Scotland and around Ireland to make their way back. But on their way back, as they were going past Scotland, things got worse for them. There was a, a terrible storms that they had uh, to endure. And those storms just battered the ships. Uh, so uh, as they were sailing around uh, Scotland, so that in the end, only 65 uh, of those uh, 100 ships actually made it back uh, to Spain. And that wind became known as the Protestant wind. Uh, the, and medals, in fact, were actually struck to celebrate uh, the victory and inscribed on those coins, uh, or, or those medals, rather, were these words, Jehovah blew with his wind, and they were scattered. Words from Job, uh, I believe. But it's not just a... Um, on the surface of things, it just looks like a natural event, and people try to explain it in this way. But actually, at the very same time as this was happening, before the Spanish Armada came, the queen had said, we must have days of prayer, and we must have days of fasting. And she called on the clergy, and she called on the people to pray earnestly to God to deliver us uh, from, uh, from this invasion. So it was an answer to prayer. And maybe it was, after all, a Protestant wind, a wind uh, from the Lord. And it's the same for us, friends. God can use uh, little things or big things. There's so many examples we could give you from the scriptures to, uh, for our good and for our help and for our benefit. But also it teaches us that the weapons of our warfare, well, they're not carnal. We don't fight with earthly uh, battens. Our warfare is not against people. Our warfare is spiritual. And our weapons are faith and prayer and trust in the Lord. Well, just look at verse 9 before we move to the third uh, stanza. Uh, verse 9, these are the words of the enemy. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Short, sharp, proud, arrogant words, isn't it? Overconfident words, bold assertions of the enemy. No ifs and no buts. This is what I'm going to do to the Israelites. Oh, friends, it's not far off from the, the, the tone that we hear from militant atheists today. Very much so. They, they speak in a similar language. We will pursue Christianity. We will eradicate it. We will overtake uh, Christians. We will triumph over Christianity and its ideology for our times. We will uh, el eliminate God from the education curri curriculum. We will uh, eliminate God from society. We will rejoice when it's in its downfall. This is the boasting of so many of the militant haters. Will they succeed? It doesn't know they won't because God in his time 
will blow with the wind, and uh, these ideologies, well, we are sure, uh, will, will fade away. Well, <coughs> let's move on quickly to our third stanza, and that's in verses 11 to 18. And this is about the transcendence of God above all gods, that God is high and far above all the other gods. Verse 11, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. The Moses and the people, well, they're in awe of the Lord. They are praising him in the beauty of holiness. And it's also, friends, a prescription for us. Here is a prescription for us when we come to worship. When we come to worship the Lord uh, on a Sunday especially, but even uh, today, we, come, we want to come not just with all the thoughts of the world about us and the week be, uh, uh, in our minds. We want to try and put those aside. And we want to try and prepare our hearts. It's good to prepare our hearts and to think of him before we come. And of course, to think of him in the few moments before the meeting begins. To pray, to quieten our hearts, and to think about the God that we are coming to worship. And this kind of a verse can help us. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? We think about our God, that he is incomparable that there is no one who can be compared uh, unto him. We put uh, another human being alongside uh, the Lord. They are nothing. You put the authorities alongside the Lord. They are nothing. Who can be compared to him? He is far above all. He is glorious uh, in uh, holiness. The God who loves uh, righteousness and who hates iniquity. And you, as we come, you want to think about uh, his attributes. Think about some aspects of the Lord, his holiness, his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy. All these are some of the thoughts uh, uh, that we can mention to ourselves and what we mention uh, even as we begin our worship. Fearful in praises. I remember that he is still a transcendent God. So I'm going to worship him uh, reverently, doing wonders. Oh, doing wonders, the wonders of Calvary. That's in our minds. We want to think about the Son of God coming from heaven in love to give himself to die for me, a wretched sinner. Isn't that a wonder? A wonder above all wonders that should melt our hearts. The wonders of him, the Son of God, leaving heaven to become a man and to live a life that he lived. Isn't that a wonder? What is he doing? Isn't that worthy of our thought and, uh, and admiration? The wonders of conversion, what has happened to us, how we are so different to what we were from our unconverted days. Who has done this wonder in, in you and in me? It's the Lord who has done it. The wonders of the Spirit's work, amazing how he works and brings souls uh, to uh, humbling and to their need, feel their need of Christ and to find him. All these wonders and so many more. Oh, this is the recipe for us, these are the things that we want to think of as we're coming uh, to uh, worship the Lord, to think about God and also what he has done uh, for us. Oh, verse 14, uh, move down to that. Uh, verse 14 to 16 tells how this great event, this what God has done here uh, for 
the Israelites and bring them safely uh, across uh, the Red Sea, that news is going to spread far and, and wide. Verse 14, the people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan, where they were heading, shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. This news is going to spread like wildfire to to the surrounding nations. And they're all going to hear what God has done for uh, his people, Israel. They have their gods, these other nations. They're not irreligious people. They have their gods, but they say, our God couldn't do that. Our God couldn't do what the God of the Israelites have done. And so they were scared. What can I, our God is no protection uh, from him. And so they were afraid uh, of, uh, of, uh, of this God. Joshua 2 and verses 9 and 10 tells us of Rahab. And you remember, this is now 40 years on after this event. And Rahab, the prostitute, uh, she received the two spies. You remember her words. I know, she said to them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And there are others uh, who said similarly, oh friends, we wish today things were, had, there was a little bit more fear of God. We wish there was a little bit more dread of his name in a, in a way that is respectful and a recognition that he is almighty and great and can do anything. Oh, there's little trembling, isn't it, before him. Uh, there's a lot of arrogance, a lot of arrogance in the world today against uh, our God. I don't know if you caught or saw uh, this actress. I don't know when it was exactly, but this actress, and uh, she went up to receive her award. She'd, she'd won an Emmy Award, and uh, she went up, and uh, as part of her speech, well, she was, began by mocking Christ. She said, oh, people come up to the, the podium here, and they thank God, and they thank Christ, and I'm not going to do no such thing, and worse things than that, she, she went on to say. And she said, this is, held up her, her Emmy Award, said, this is my God, this is my, my Christ, more or less. And she derided openly, and all the, the uh, Hollywood audience there were, were laughing and, and joining in uh, her mockery. Oh, friends, is that any fear of God? Oh, how we wish that they would be slow to speak, these people. They, know not, they don't know what they say. They don't know what they say, what they're doing. We wish they would come down uh, quickly uh, from such a high and lofty position and humble themselves uh, before the Lord. But then let's uh, move on. Verse 17, uh, there's confidence here as well going forward. Not only... Uh, Gladness at what the Lord has done for the past, but going forward, also an assurance that he will bring them in. Verse 17, thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord, they are sure, 
is going to bring them all the way uh, to uh, Canaan. And he would dwell with them uh, in that land. And then verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Oh, friends, we too, we, not, we can sing with confidence. We can sing about the Lord has done, and we can also sing with confidence about the Lord will do. And we have some, some hymns which speak about heaven, and we are sure about heaven. We're sure about that the Lord will bring us there if we are, have faith in our, the, the Savior. We are sure that all that God has promised to do, He will do. We are sure of that. We can sing about that with all our hearts. He will bring us to heaven where we shall be forever with Christ our King. He will keep us uh, till heaven. He will answer our prayers. We are sure about these things. We are confident about these things. His way, uh, His will will be done. And so we rejoice in these things. One of the main activities, of course, when we do get to heaven, we'll be singing. We will be singing in glory, singing unto the Lord without any hindrance. Well, let me just very quickly close because Revelation, one more verse, Revelation chapter 15, because there's a reference there to the Song of Moses. Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3. And there, uh, in heaven, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest the song of Moses, and the song of the Lamb. Now, when it says the song of Moses, it does mean to say that they, we will be singing the same words as Moses penned in Exodus 15, but the same ingredients will be there. The same thoughts will be there. Praise to God alone, a celebration of the overthrow of our spiritual enemies. We'll be rejoicing over that. The ease of the victory, a great cost to the Savior. Yet on the other hand, it was so easy for him to achieve what he did. And we rejoice that Christ sits on the throne and he, none can dethrone him. He sits and reigns as king forever and ever. Amen.